This is Little Joe Raposo, and you're listening to Talkin' Schmidt. Hey, 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 fucking Schmidt. I'm already not watching. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Damn, this is like the coolest thing I'm ever gonna do. I wouldn't say it was fun. What do you mean, well, Christian Fletcher's younger brother. Fuck the doggers. Oh, big dog's in. What do you think, Dolan? Beyond, Schmitty, talking Schmidt. Alpha macaroni. Most of these guys, their opinion don't matter. Talking Schmidt, right? It's skateboarding. I remember that. Talking Schmidt. What are yuns doing? Holy shit. Skateboarding homies. No, Schmidt, you can't jump in. What is happening? Yay! Yes, we are. <laughs> Wi-Fi check one, Wi-Fi check two. Well, let's get into it. So that changes your life. I mean, that's where you are now is like you took this road and the road has gone to where you are. You're in Lagwagon now um, and you've done some side projects and I never got to see uh was it King City? I wanted to see that because that was kind of a different vibe, but um, you guys would play locally too. But talk about that first European trip because <clears throat> I don't know if you'd been out of the country yet, but rumor had it that your parents had to sign over like a, a document or something that said Barry was your legal guardian for the trip or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, my parents weren't going to let me go. I mean, obviously, I mean, fucking, you know, like imagine you having a kid and 17 years old and he's going like on tour in Europe, in another fucking country. Things are different though in those days. You know, it's like you just can't fucking call somebody. If something happens, like you find out like a month later, oh, by the way, your kid died in Europe, you know, in fucking Yugoslavia or something. Right? Like. And, you know, and, and real quick, because I, I while I'm thinking about this, your parents are Portuguese pretty like significantly. I don't know if 100 percent, but the 100%. question I have is, did you have to explain what rich kids on LSD means? Did they know what that was? Because you, your parents are like, oh, yeah, my kid's going to Europe with this band called Rich Kids on LSD. It's pretty gnarly. <laughs> So, so my parents are fucking old school as fuck. I mean, they, they grew up in the Azor Islands in, in San Miguel, 100% Portuguese. I mean, even more so like being island monkeys, like in fucking San Miguel and the Azores, right? So mm. they're more old school than even old school, right? You know, they grew up poor. They had nothing. I mean, my mom never went to school because she had to work. Mm. You know, that's that's like how gnarly it was. Um, so they didn't understand the whole LSD thing. I mean, their whole thing uh, that they thought was hard drugs was like smoking weed or something, you know? Uh Uh, So they didn't understand it. So thank God they didn't understand it. You know what I mean? Because if they did or someone (laughs) explained it to them, which they cared to know about or whatever, they'd be like, what the fuck? No (laughs) fucking way. In fact, you're out of this band right now. You need to quit. (laughs) get it out with these guys but um but yeah well they met the whole band when i first joined they like really wanted to meet these people that i that i was hanging out with all the time you Mm. know so so they met the whole band and the whole band was like like absolutely lovely to my parents my parents thought they were great great dudes and 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 really nice and they were really good guys you know uh and and so they were okay with me hanging out with these guys so it was like if you're going to europe with with this this group of gentlemen uh kids 
then that's okay. But it wasn't okay. Like they were like, no, you're not going. There's, there's no way we're going to let you go. Mm. And um, it wasn't until I talked to uh, the high school principal doc at, at Peninsula high uh, that um, they even like kind of gave me a, like any kind of thought into letting me go. So what I did was I went to my high school principal and I said, look, doc, I have this opportunity to tour with this band and go to Europe and we're going to be there for two months. I'm going to have to come back to high school for another year and go on the five-year plan. Um, but my parents, they're, they're hesitant on, on, you know, letting me go. They're, they're saying they don't want me to go. And he was so fucking cool. He had said, look, this is an awesome opportunity for you. I think you should go. You're going to learn way more there than you're ever going to learn at school. He's like, this is a, a, a high school for misfits, you know, and, and these guys never get any kind of opportunity like this. He's like, this is something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. You're going to go out. You're going to go to Europe. You're going to see the world. He's like, you need to go. This is something that you need to do. And you always have a home here to come back to when you get back. And he's like, I'll talk to your parents. He fucking oh, called man. my parents and talked to them for an hour and convinced them to let me go. Oh, damn, that rules. Wow. Yeah. It was it was Doc and it was my sister, too, because my sister was always supportive of the band and everything. She would drive me before I even had my license to the RKL shows and stuff like that and to the city for practice and things like that. Right. So she was really supportive too. And obviously my brother was supportive too, because he was playing music. My brother played guitar and he played in like rock bands and things like that. So like my, 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 my whole family was pretty supportive of, of it. You know, my parents, I don't think they really understood what was going on, but they knew that like, if it was something I loved, they, they were like a supported supportive of me and wanted me to do it. And so they convinced, you know, like my, my parents to let me go and they let me go. And so in order to let me go, they had to sign over legal, legal guardianship to someone. And I, I don't know if that made them feel better. Maybe it did make them feel better that like, if shit happened, we could try to sue this guy and it's his responsibility <laughs> that I died in Europe. You Barry's know? like, I got him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and kudos to Barry for doing that too, because like, I think it was the oldest guy in the band We and the rest of the band figured, well, if he's older, then maybe that will make more sense. You know what I mean? He, he's like over 18 and, and he's, a, you know, like of drinking age. I think it was like 21 back then, maybe 20, 21. Oh. Um, and, uh, and so they, and Barry was the guy and he's like, yeah, man, whatever. Like, fuck yeah, I got your back. I'll sign this shit. Yeah. And, and he got it signed and dude, we went to Europe. Yeah. Insane. Hey, do you mind? I, I got to take a real quick piss break. Yeah, no problem. I'll do okay. one too. Okay. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so 
So speaking of the, uh, the, the first tour in Europe, and I don't know if Zoom is going to translate these really well, but I dug up some pictures from, from that tour. And Mad. at that point, like, I didn't really give a fuck. I would skateboard all over the place, and I hit up so many spots. I mean, we lived in Berlin and Amsterdam for probably, like, you know, a couple of weeks at a time during that tour because it was so long. We had like a lull in between shows. Yeah. I skated all over Amsterdam, um, hit up all spots. I met local skateboarders that took me to spots. And did you ran. hit the Eiffel Tower banks? I did. So sick. Yeah. And um, I have pictures of that too. <laughs> Dude, I mean, that's got to be still to this day one of the biggest highlights. That's really special for you, that trip, right? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, Doc wasn't wrong. My my high school principal wasn't wrong. Like, if that was the only, like, tour that I ever did in my whole life, I'd be perfectly fine with it. Like, I <laughs> move on in my life, have kids, a wife, a home, and all that mm. And be able to remember that. And that would be like the highlight of my life. Uh, you know, fortunately for me, it continued, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. And let me see if I can find um, some pictures from, let's see. Uh, I remember when you came back, you were like, so jazzed. I think you guys wrote, did you write rumors on that trip? We did. Yeah. Okay. So that was the first song that you wrote that the band wrote with you maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it was recorded on the live album. It the was. Rumor, it's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> rumor. It's a lie. I had a few pictures from there, but I think this is the only one that I can find. Oh man. Damn it. Uh, yeah, this, this one was at the, the Eiffel Tower banks. Oh yeah. Bring it up a little higher. There you go. Oh, wow. Yep. Frontside Ollie. Frontside Ollie at the banks. Yeah. And, and then there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a few others as well, but I don't know why they're not in this stack, but there's like. There's a few pictures of me skateboarding at other spots. This is a um, this is a skate park that that I got to to skate. Jesus, metal 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 ramp. This is all on the first tour. That's amazing. And, yeah, I mean you're just like a kid in a candy shop, just like dude. dude I'm going on tour to play music in a place where there's tons of shit to skate. I got to do it all. Oh yeah, sick. That's like an indoor street course or something. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, oh man, there's there. Oh, and uh, let's see. Like, dude, it was rad because like wherever you went, there would be like spots to skate, and and this is like a truck stop. Damn, just a hip. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Well, Nice, dude. It's so cool that you have those photos. Yeah, and then and then here's one too. It's like just a bunch of old photos, and, and this is when I first started skateboarding. So this is probably like eighth grade when I met uh, Mike and Mike, the nose pick in the oh, backyard. Ah, yep. 
Sick. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like, I mean, maybe all you guys, but especially you and Mike seemed like you definitely had the sense that style mattered early on, you know, whether it be like the Jimmy Z's and how you would wear your pants or like, you know, the beret, like we were trying to emulate cab maybe or somebody that we saw, but like how you did your tricks was equally as important as like what trick you were doing, you know, like, it's like, if you did a shitty kickflip, it didn't matter that you did a kickflip, like you save it, like learn how to do that better, you know, and you guys, what you did, you would do like, I remember Oscar teaching me Smith grinds and it was like, just the arms and everything and the leg and all the weight in the legs. And like in the instruction, it wasn't really how to do the Smith grind. It was more like how your body should look while you're doing the Smith grind. And I always remember that as like, that was him subconsciously maybe teaching me style, you know, like you want to do it like this. Cause Oscar did some of the best Smith grinds we ever saw. I mean, he was a powerhouse. So he would just be like, <laughs> and you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> oh dude, when, when Oscar did tricks, like whole ramp would move. I mean, <laughs> you heard the ground like, like, like break and you felt it shake when, when he did shit like it was it was gnarly he he definitely pulled his weight around and made it work into his favor and everything was just so burly too like just the sounds the experience of it you know it, it was just all over the place uh he was such a great skater man a lot of yeah. fucking really great skaters and and pete dude pete come on man pete yeah. Colpitz, Colpitz is the guy i still talk to pete a bunch like he'll check in from time to time he does pg and e and he'll swing by my neighborhood sometimes or by the by the plant um what was now, the tell him, tell him i said hi man and, and and to reach out because i miss that guy a lot we used to hang out a lot back in the day and play music he used to take me to places to play music we used to go to like buena vista pool to skate and stuff like that oh, um, he, he also had a, a vw bus too right didn't he maybe i, I can't remember okay so, yeah he so might have well i just found this in the pile buena vista pool oh sick yep oh yeah so i think I'm i have a photo from that too i'll have to dig through my photos but i definitely have photos of you and mike and and oscar and the guys like at different spots like back in that era that are really neat um you know we went to I think we went to a contest in LA somewhere like yeah. I, I forget where but it it was like a three three or four day little trip to the weekend where we just piled in the van and went down there and stuff I remember um, that. that's that's when um we we all participated in in an amateur contest for the NSA yeah and I want to say it was in Del Mar it might have been i i can't I remember it was like by the beach somewhere and and we went down to san diego i, I think we went as far as, as san diego i it, think it was at the same place where they had the pro contest where gons and Nottis did there was like a wall around it and 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 they did like a nose pick early on from a i just i can't remember i i wanted to say long beach or huntington beach i know it was like near the coast i think it was near the coast. Uh, yeah. I think you may be right. I think it was it was probably, yeah, it was probably Long Beach or maybe Huntington Beach. Yeah, I think it was Huntington Beach. It could have been. Yeah, I just I can't remember super clearly. But uh, 
but yeah like so what was the tour like um you said like the first show is kind of like an indication this is gonna go well or did it or did the crowd grow as it went on because you said in europe like dude we're big over there a lot different than here like a lot of people were into it well it didn't it didn't first start out like that right oh, we okay. had to build our following so the first year we went out it was it was pretty gnarly i mean we thought that we were gonna have to fly home like almost immediately because at the beginning of the tour we were playing squats like like oh. like unorganized like fucking um decrepit buildings that 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 punks are just occupying you know that like they're like oh yeah come over here we'll show you the the music room and you walk into like this fucking basement and it's leaking water and shit on stage <laughs> oh my god it's all like i mean it's like a basement in this old huge building you know and and i mean you could see the sparks flying off the fucking electrical outlets and stuff we're like what the fuck we're gonna fucking play it we're like dude is this safe yeah 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 it's okay it's okay we play it all the time it's fine uh-huh. and 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 we play these squats dude like I don't know, it'd be like 50 people and it'd just be like the household at first. And we'd be getting no money, but like free beer and free food. Right. And, um, and then move on to the next. And then was someone funding the trip? It was Dave Pollock from, uh, from destiny. I mean, destiny now, I don't think destiny exists. Oh yeah. Destiny did exist back, back then as a, as a record label, he put out his own band and a few other bands out. But okay. he was the one responsible for getting uh, a lot of other bands out there at that time because not a lot of uh, punk rock bands were touring Europe at that time. I mean, there were, were punk rock bands there. RKL wasn't the first. Uh, RKL was probably among the first California bands, but mm. there were like, you know, bands like D- DOA, the Dead Kennedys, uh, MDC. Sure. Uh, bands like that coming out, uh, you know, and obviously all the, the English punk rock bands so close to the proximity but um but there were weren't a lot right Mm. that's why i think it became um popular very very fast that bands from the the u.s were coming over because that was like kind of a, a rarity and um and so Europeans would like come out and, and start seeing these bands because like, oh, we heard about these bands from the U.S. So we got to go to these shows and check it out. But the first couple of shows, man, we were fucking scared. You know, like we're in a we're in a rental van that has like fucking constant fumes coming out and gas. And we're like cruising in this thing with all of our equipment. There's mm-hmm. no place to sleep or whatever. Right. We're just going from shithole to shithole. And this is like probably about the first week and a half then it was weird it's like things just started happening like we word gets out that this band is over here and they're playing these places and 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 they're pretty good you know like you guys have to go out here and see this band so it just kind of like it got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and by the end of the tour it was like there's like 500 people, like 800 people at like Van Hall and like in, in Amsterdam, you know, at this squat. Like we played there, I think in the beginning, right? When we started the tour and then came back two months later at Van Hall at the end uh, of the tour. Smart. And it was fucking 
shit ton of people like, like and they're just going off and we go home and, and, and we're on a huge high, you know, like we're like, fuck, this is radical. Uh, and then we're planning our next trip back, you know, and uh, and then, you know, obviously stay there for a little bit because we recorded live in Berlin. But that was all Dave's doing, you know, he's like behind the scenes going like, dude, you know, you guys have to stay here for, for like another couple of weeks. He's like, words getting out. I'm getting great offers. He's like, you know, um, if you. You guys stay another week. I mean, this is after two months of touring. He's like, you guys can finally see a profit and come home with money. <laughs> you know? Oh man! So that's is that kind of when you're like, okay, let's try to write a new song to include with it, or had you been writing a song on the road, or did that already? How did the rumors come out? So, um, I mean, at that point, you know, we're all just like, kind of like when we were like skateboarding, we're all just all encompassed in music. So we're all just jamming all the time. Like no matter what, if, if we're staying somewhere, everybody pulls out the guitars and we're just jamming all the time, constantly. And, um, and we're just constantly writing stuff, you know? So mm. Bomber, of, of course, he's like, he's such a musical genius. I mean, it just pours out of him. It just yeah. like, it's like no problem, you know? And then he just started writing this, this whole, the whole rumors thing. And he's like, I got a song for you guys, you know? And then we all sit in a room, hash it out, learn it. And it's like a new song. And then he has like, like four other ideas that we never had the time to kind of learn or whatever. But, but he's like rumors we can put on the album. We can play it live. And it was based on um, an incident that happened on that tour in, in Hamburg. And back then, you know, I, I guess it's kind of like the same thing it is now where it's like, you know, people are, are, are very PC and you need to do things a certain way. And, and especially if you're from America, you know, you're obviously a piece of shit and you're capitalist and, and, uh. you know, um, you're basically every everything that's bad about about the world right now you know it's like reagan era united states you know europeans were not into that yeah um but uh we were at a bar because we were obviously all partying at that time i mean it was like 17 years old i could go into bars any bar i wanted in europe and drink and order a drink and it yeah. was totally it was totally cool i mean i could if I wanted to, I, I could go down in the red light district, you know, and, and just partake in debauchery. <laughs> you know what I mean? At 17, it was insane. So we were partying a lot and, and we were in Hamburg and um, we were just partying at a, at a bar and, and the, and these, and these women came up to us and they're like, yeah, you know what? Like hanging out with us and stuff like that. And they're like, will you buy us a, a bottle of champagne? And so, uh, we ordered champagne and then suddenly it becomes like a, a, a mob thing, like where there's shit going down in this bar or we're in the wrong fucking place. And mm. they're like, oh, yeah, this bottle of champagne asks, actually costs you 300 Deutschmarks. You need to pay up right now. We're like, dude, we don't have that. Like, it's only supposed to cost like, you know, 10 Deutschmarks. And they're like, well you got to pay up man or else we're going to kick your ass. We're going to break your leg. You know, we're not going to let you out of here. And, and so 
there was a whole ordeal that went on. We finally got like the, the I think the 300 Deutsche Box from Jason's dad. He had to like wire it, but we were all stuck there, dude. And, and nothing we could do. We were being strong armed by like all these like crazy, like German mob guys. And so the word got out in, in the punk rock community. And then it just like the, the, the rumor, the story just turned into like, Oh, they're out in this bar, like getting a bunch of hookers and spending a whole bunch of money <laughs> on, on booze and shit. You know, they're just, they're just, you know, like, like fucking, uh, uh, you know, a womanizing, uh, uh, drug using, uh, uh-huh. American scum, you know? Fuck. And, and so w- we wrote the lyrics of rumors as like, Hey man, this is what happened. And uh-huh. your rumor, it's a lie. You know, yeah. that's what Jason says that. Oh, by the way, the rumor is so- a lie. <laughs> So what kind of shape was Jason in on that trip? Was he just wasted the whole time or was there in and out of it or like? Um, the first tour wasn't that bad. I mean, I know that Bomber and and uh, Jason were were dabbling in, in something that was a little harder than the normal smoking weed, you know, popping a couple of tabs of acid and drinking beer all the time, you know? Mm. There were a couple of times where they would just like disappear uh, and not come back for like a long time and obviously fucked up. But, you know, I wouldn't really notice because that wasn't on my radar so much. But I I noticed that the other guys did. And but they weren't bad. I mean, not bad enough at that point to like ruin a tour or a good time or anything else. You okay. know, so, so that tour... We we rocked out pretty heavily and had tons of energy, and and we all had a lot of fun. So the drugs wasn't really becoming a, a, a big huge problem in the band at that point. That could have been the best tour you went on with the whole band because later the band breaks up, people are dying and stuff, and then drugs are more evident and stuff. Like, do you feel like that was kind of one of your like looking back like that was the one where you kind of had the best representation of everyone i think it was the first one and the second one uh Mm. cumulatively because i mean we kept on rolling in that era and we were pushing out stuff i mean it was like rock and roll nightmare it was a pretty short amount of time because i think rock and roll nightmare came out what like 87 right we do the we do the tour in 88 and then um in in like early 89 like we come out with live in berlin which is like a more polished uh rock and roll nightmare with a great band lots of energy and like really just shredding the old stuff too and Mm. and introducing new music so it was like when we come out with greatest hits we go back to europe it's like our shows are like fucking huge now you know i mean not huge but like by those days standards you know an american band going to europe and then like selling out like an 800 seater or something like that it's like it's phenomenal you know but towards the end of that tour that's when things started to get really rocky because the drug use became a lot more and a lot more and it became more evident and kind of getting not getting in the way of shows or whatever, but like kind of getting in the way of 
of the comfort of the band because there were like a little more fights and things like that. And then Bomber was like, wanted the band to kind of go in a, a different direction because, you know, he wanted to be challenged musically. And so he wanted to try different stuff, you know, and Jason wasn't really pulling it as a singer because Bomber's vision of what can be, you know, needed a singer who was a fucking opera singer. I don't know, but like yeah. someone who can like have versatility, you know, and Jason was a great singer, but obviously he had his own, his yeah, own he had voice. His niche, right. Huh. Niche, you know, crazy. So, oh, the, uh, and then we, oh, sorry to interrupt no. you, but I, I just wanted to lead up to this because like, here we are, we go back to Europe for a second time. Right. I mean, we just fucking kill it. And then like, other bands are finally hearing about us like going to Europe and we're talking to other bands like bad religion and, and no effects. I mean, no effects had a poster at that point when they were coming to Europe that said to, in order to bring people to their shows, they said, no effects, friends of RKL oh on their tour post Fuck. at that point. It was crazy. And then, and then bad religion was even, like we were talking to those guys and they're like, yeah, dude, we just went to Europe and all we could hear, like all people who talk about is, is RKL, RKL this and RKL that and RKL this. And then we, we, we end that tour. And then our next show that we play right before we break up is we, we play the Reseda country club and sell it out. And that's like a, like a 1000 seater. I mean, the Chili Peppers sold it out the night before, then RKL sells it out the night afterwards, and we wow. decide to break up. And is is the breakup, that original breakup, pretty much because arguing over, like, sloppiness of, like, you're, if, if they're too drunk or too much on drugs, they're not pulling it musically, or, like, is it just, like, friction, or what, what's the deal? uh it, musically we were always on point and i think even even though like you know um there were drugs involved and 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 jason's drug use got a little bit worse and i think believe bombers too you know starting to get into hard drugs like heroin and shit like that um they never ruined a show like the shows okay. were always on point and it wasn't okay. like People were too drunk to play or perform. Like that stuff happened after the fact. Of course, we'd smoke weed and we'd drink before we played, but we knew our like tolerance, right. you know. And the show would will always go on without a hitch and always be pretty rad. Uh, it, it was a battle between drug use and then a battle between the direction of the band and where it wanted to go. Bomber wanted to do something else, and I think that was the main rift. A rift it was it was jason's drug use got really bad and then bomber wanted to do something different and they were just like constantly uh bickering back and forth about it and and the, the rest of the band wanted to continue but we were like kind of like collateral damage we had no real part of that conversation and as far as i knew i mean barry might have a different story and chris might have a different story because they were always closer to those guys than i was but um i believe that it just Got to the point where it was like Bomber said, "Fuck this! I want to try something new," and and fuck RKL. Like we're big enough to this point. I I I, I felt like Bomber thought that no matter what I do after this, it'll happen, you know, and it just didn't. All right. What is that? Eighty nine ish. Eighty nine. Yeah. Man, so that's kind of like at the peak, it just kind of, I mean, like you said, you just sold out the place that the Chili Peppers sold out. And 
I'm sure for you, it's a tough place for you to be because I, you're, you don't want to be in the middle of this long friendship that, you know, they're bickering or have different opinions of things, but you're like, man, I kind of just got here. Like, and it's getting rad. Like I want to keep it going, obviously. Like it must've been really tough. Is that when slang starts? Yeah, that's when slang starts after that. And I wasn't originally a part of it. Bomber moved to Santa Barbara and then immediately got Chris Rest involved with his, you know, musical escapades, I guess we could call it, like what his vision was at the time. And obviously that was like what late 80s, like that, I mean, you remember like the funk rock movement, you know what I mean? Like Bungo Mungo, Psycho Funkopus, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's where the Primus also came, was cut from that same scene too, mm-hmm. you know? That was before Primus got big. Like all those other bands were like even bigger than Primus at that time. But that that was like when that whole like funk Faith rock. Faith No More kind of, right? And Faith No More too. Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, they, they all kind of cut out of that like um, San Francisco Bay Area type of funk rock music scene. And the So Bomber felt that was the next big thing. And so he was kind of gravitating more towards that. And and since he couldn't find a singer for his vision, he decided to sing because he could, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, he was such a musical genius. He could do fucking everything he wanted to musically. And so he's like, well, I'm going to start singing now, you know, uh-huh. get, beat, get out drum kit. He got Chris Rest involved. And then, um, I think he even uh, auditioned Derek, Derek Plore. That's what he sold his drums, drum kit to Derek Plore, his RKL drum, drum kit to Derek Plore from, from Lagwagon and, um, and then became a singer. Uh, and then they even auditioned Derek Plore. I oh, think Derek uh, was playing drums. Well, in the beginning they auditioned him, but he didn't make the cut oh. <laughs> back then. This first started playing drums. I think it was Scott Shiflet. They got they tried out Scott Shiflet from Face to Face, from Santa Barbara too, um, uh, and they they tried out a whole bunch of people, um, but they moved back to the city from Santa Barbara, and then that's when they asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, and so I said, "Sure, fuck yeah, I will." You know, I mean, why not? <laughs> you know, I had nothing else going on. Uh-huh. So that's when we started slang, yeah. And then is the story goes, because I, I don't know, I might have seen him slang once, I can't remember, but is it kind of like people are expecting RKL and then they're a little disappointed, or is that more the other? No. Uh, what happened when people were disappointed is that slang started playing, because slang was like a total different deal. Like people knew that, members of RKL were in it, but there were so many like bands playing around the city and elsewhere at the time. Mm. That no one was bummed out that Slank was playing this type of music. In fact, they were fucking into it, you know, oh. it was ripping and, and uh, a lot of, but we got a lot of fans. We had a, a, a great fan base in San Francisco and around the Bay area. Um, and, and we started gaining popularity it wasn't until Slang got signed to Epitaph Records, right, that we went and re- were re- supposed to record a Slang out album for Epitaph, 
and and we got done recording the slang record and bomber and brett gurowitz for bad religion owner of epitaph at the time decided that it would be in the best interest of the business to rename slang and reform rkl and call that record rkl reactivate so rkl reactivate on epitaph the first album that uh, epitaph put out for rkl was supposed to be a slang record that's why it's so different uh. it, it was supposed to be an rkl record but they rebranded it as rkl thinking that they would make that it would be more popular but and they would jason's make not on that one right he is not no uh-huh okay. is barry on it uh barry barry is on it he's on two songs we had we had another guitar player at that time playing for slang as a second guitar player joel uh mahan and he played on most of the record and then when they decided to name it rkl bomber wrote three new like punk rock rkl style songs to throw in the mix and then barry played on those God damn, Bomber was so epic. He's like, uh, I always say, like, I compare him to John Bonham of the punk world. He's just such a powerhouse, but with, like, kind of like almost Rush and uh, Rush and Led Zeppelin combined. Like the fucking sick offbeats and the fills and just, but the power of Bonham where it's just like, I mean, many people try, but I don't think there's many... I don't know if anybody has his sound, you know, like he was a very special guy. And the fact that he wrote all the songs too, and, or a lot of them, most of them, it's just amazing. Like what a loss that we don't have that guy. Like that guy was so important to so many people, right? Uh, so, so many people. I mean, I, I've read this before and, and a lot of people say that, that he is, one of the biggest influences to modern punk rock drumming. And that's what a lot of people say. And I've, 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 I've read it in magazines before and I've heard people say it that bomber, like his kick patterns and his style, especially the dynamics going from like, like rim shots, snare rolls to hi hat stuff. You know what I mean? That beep, 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 you know, like he invented that whole style of, of those dynamics, yeah. you know, and that, and that whole like, like ride playing style too, you know, with all the ding, 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 you know what I mean? Like all those like little dynamics, he like pretty much invented it. And then the foot style too, of the kick drum and the patterns and everything of how it like, pushes the beat and the way that it flows and the, and the, and the choice of, of the space in between um, and just the fear or, or the sheer, like um, not fear, but sheer power and speed of, of what he would do and execute it is just so gnarly. Like that live in a dive that they just put out on, on fat um, it, it, like that just showcases his style. It's just like, it's, it's like blender liquefies speed, but playing so precise and yeah. dynamically it, it's, it's insane. I've never, I've jammed with some pretty fucking awesome drummers in my lifetime. And I have never played with a drummer who can, who can emulate that the way right. that bomber. 
Yeah, and so I, I'm guessing because I the analogy is with skateboarding, like when you're wanting to really focus and film a video in skateboarding, what do you do? You get in the van and you go on the road because every day all you're supposed to do is skate until you're tired enough to sleep and then do it again the next day. So if you're on tour with a band, you're probably, and you're playing these hard songs all the time and you know bonding with your band, your probably levels are increasing dramatically. Like each show you're getting better at the songs you play, then you're practicing new songs together. And so you're actually becoming like a way better bassist and, and, and bonding with Chris and getting the timing with the drumming and all that stuff. So like, it makes sense that the songs would come like out even next level and just like, and fuller and like, you know, and then to have this breakup and stuff, like, I think this is such a tragedy for a lot of people. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you hear it all the time, but like, I'm sure so many people are like, man, RKL broke up. Like, uh, like it's yeah. such a part of our youth and such a, a magical time because it was before a lot of things blew up that are kind of like mainstream now. And at that time we we felt more of a community a close-knit crew like this is kind of our shit and we own it type vibe same with skating like if i hear wheels coming down the street i want to see that dude because fucking yeah. he's a skater nowadays you hear wheels all day it's like i don't know i don't know that guy who cares like whatever you know and, <laughs> right. and, and so i'm just tripping on like that was the year that you guys went on the tour and your roadie dies and bomber quit. And then Jason flies out to finish the tour, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you were touching base on this earlier where it was like, you were asked about slang and people were bummed. Like they expected RKL, right? This is the time where it happened because it was, it was, it was a bad move on their part to rename it RKL and then brand that album with the comeback of RKL, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm. And and the way that Bomber was singing, it was like, you know, um, you, you're getting like this like gospel singer now to sing lead for RKL. It's like, it's not really going to match up. Like things aren't really lining up. You know, you're trying to like, to, to repackage something and, and sell it again. I, I think if you wanted to do RKL again, it'd be like, okay, Brett, uh, let's scrap the album. Let's write all new songs. Let's try to get fucking Jason in the mix. And sorry, Dave Ron, but Bomber, get back on drums and let's try to make this thing happen again. Like if uh -huh. I was Brett Gerwitz, I would be like, no, let's go back to the original line. And let's make this happen. But since they had already spent so much money on it and Bomber was probably super adamant about singing and didn't want Jason to do it, we made it happen. I had no say in this whatsoever. So <laughs> I was just rolling with the punches, right? Uh -huh. I was just happy to be in a band signed by Epitaph, getting a little bit of money and then just continuing playing music for a living, you know? Um, so, so real quick though, was Bomber singing old RKL songs that Jason used to sing or were you only playing songs that he sang on, on the new album? No, we, we, like would he play keep laughing and he'd sing it. Yes. But in an opera voice, oh. like in a different, like a different style or would he try to emulate like, 
you know, like he would not try to emu- emulate Jason whatsoever. He's saying it like like a rock and roll type of bluesy style. Wow, I gotta yeah. see. Is this this is on YouTube somewhere, right? I'm sure it probably is. Yeah, like I Bomber check- Cabra singing singing RKL. I'm sure there's videos out there. Yeah, okay. for sure. Mm. I haven't I haven't tried to look those up because I really don't care. <laughs> was that kind of a sour well, time for you? It was, man. There were a lot of fucking bad times. I mean, first of all, our 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 roadie Will dies on the road. You know what I mean? And Bomber just quits the band mid tour. And there were a lot of good times or a lot of bad times, but that's, that was like the yin and yang for RKL. Like we were, we would eat shit miserably, you know, but we would have the best time doing it kind of thing. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Cause we were all friends and, and no matter what happened, we all had like a pretty positive attitude about, it. you know, keep laughing. Right. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we would, we, we, <laughs> we went out on the road for, to support that album and uh and people would show up wanting to see rkl and what they got was like this and they're like what the fuck is this mm-hmm. you know they were disappointed and and that leaned really heavily on bomber um and so it started bum- bumming him out and and getting him depressed because here's this like musical genius and people just aren't accepting of his next big vision right Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't do that very well. And, and he became depressed. He started using drugs more. He became fucking a pain in the ass on tour. I mm-hmm. mean, completely. Like sometimes he would just have bl- full blowouts and just leave. And we'd be like, what the fuck? We don't even know where this guy is. And we're supposed to be on the road to our next show. And it's been like six hours since like we we were supposed to leave, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he just show up on on the on the bus and show up and be like, "Yeah, man, all this shit happened to me." And like he'd have some story about him trying to go and score dope and and he almost got ripped off by like a whole bunch of people and he had to fight his way out of like a fucking crack house or you know like it was just crazy shit all the time. It was just oh insane. God. Like every day would just be a new fucking story. It it, it became too much. And then finally on the road after will died he just fully just just had a mental breakdown and i remember this because he's just upstairs backstage somewhere uh i think we were like getting ready to open for bad religion or something big show and he's just crying and 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 it was just saying i can't do this anymore i just can't do this anymore tomorrow i'm flying home i'm just like i can't later guys I'm leaving. So and did he play that show though or no? He did. He played that show and then and then he bailed. He just fucking Fuck. left. Yeah. And left us high and dry, man. Like it, it was super not. We're like, okay, great. Here we are in the middle of Germany. What the fuck are we going to do? We, we had already planned to take some time off in Barcelona. Uh, we were going to take two weeks off in between the tour to kind of like wind down, have a little vacation enjoy the summer there. And um, we ended up having to go there like three weeks early or something like that and spend the rest of the time in Barcelona. And so we're, we're in Barcelona and, and having the best time of our lives. So that's what I'm saying. It was like high, lo- high points, low points, 
high points and and like Spain loves RKL like Spain's always loved RKL especially Barcelona so like they rolled out the red carpet we had places to stay we had bars where we could drink for free we just like hung out at the beach all day and it was just it was radical you know so it was cool and it was at that point that we decided to call Jason and reform the old RKL with Jason singing again and our first two shows were in Barcelona and they fucking went off. <laughs> so we are ex phase of RKL pre riches to rags. Now that album and he's back in the band. Dave Pollock is behind the scenes going, I'm going to book a fucking tour for you guys now. And let's finish off this tour with Jason singing. Uh-huh. And so that's what we did. Wow. Okay. And to I mean, the next phase, of RKL with Dave Ron now playing drums. Dave Ron, yeah, okay. So, was there any thought or talk about just going home when the roadie dies and and Bomber uh, quits, or are you guys just like we need to regroup and we'll figure this out? Like your mentality st- still stayed like persevere. We really didn't know what to do at that point. We just it's knew heavy. It's heavy because we we like we were all super bummed out. Like we knew we had to regroup at some point, but no one really had a plan. We're okay. like we're like okay, we have some money, you know, but we don't have <laughs> we don't have enough money to fly everybody home. Uh, let's let's just go to Barcelona like we planned and let's let's organize places to stay for everybody. Let's just go to Barcelona try to have a good time and forget about this for a little while. And then if we have to fly home from Barcelona, Barcelona is a big hub, international hub. We'll be able to get flights to their home if we have to go home and we'll just go there and then regroup. And we just ended up going there and having a great time that we just like, we're like, fuck this, let's just stay. You know, we're pretty much living for free and, and In Barcelona, things could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> okay. And we, we ended up spending like three weeks there. And it wasn't until like, I think the midpoint that we're like, okay, let's start talking about what we need to do. And then everybody's talking about, well, why don't we fucking get Jason back in the band? We do have a tour that we haven't really like officially canceled yet because we were supposed to do that after the Barcelona break. Mm. We're like, let's get Dave. Well, first of all, let's ask Jake if he could do it. And then let's ask Dave if he could just keep rolling with the tour and tell people, no, it's not canceled. And so that's what we did. And then Jason flew out. Like, I think what, uh, I think it was, Oh shit. It was like a day before we were supposed to play our first show in Barcelona and oh. we didn't even practice. And oh. I remember him, and I remember him and he hasn't been in the band for like, I want to say four years. So he's like it backstage, like sitting there going like this, right? Like the whole time. <laughs> uh. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you okay, Jason, are you going to be able to do the show? He's like, He's like, yeah, I'm just trying to remember lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's going through all the lyrics in his head, trying to memorize the oh, lyrics yeah. to the song like an hour before we're, we were ready to go on. And and then he fucking goes on and he just kills it. 
And we book another show like three days later in the same city. It's so crazy. It's like three days later in the same city and sell it out again. And and then we go to Mallorca <laughs> uh, and stay there for like five days and we play a show out there right. on the island and, and then continue the rest of the tour, man. And it, it was like, it was so fucked up because that, you know, like, I mean, a friend dies on tour. Yeah, uh, the tour almost ends. Bomber quits the band, you know. And- like just that is a book right there. Just that's that tour is a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of shit going on. Is it was insane, man. I mean, there's a lot of crazy shit that happened in that band. I mean, we should write a book because there's so much Definitely. that happened, and and. It would be cool to have quotes from other people too, because other people have stories that, that they remember as well. I mean, I know talking to Smelly from No Effects, he has a lot of funny stories about Bomber and 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 RKL and No Effects and stuff like that. And uh-huh. and you know, Fat Mike uh, used to drive us to shows in his van. Really? You know? <laughs> yeah, he he drove us to San Diego for for like a small tour that we did. And he drove us all the way from San Francisco to San Diego, and our tour got canceled, and he had to drive us all the way back. <laughs> wow. Eventually, Riches to Rags comes out. Is that the last record that Jason sings? That's the last RKL record, yeah? That's the last, or the, the last, well, I, I don't want to say it's the last official release because we've had a couple of albums come out since then, you know what I mean? But at that point, that's been like the last like studio record that we've and, done. And Chris seemed like he was pretty proud of that one. I think we were all proud of that one just because Bomber's not in the band anymore to write songs, you know? Now the the whole uh, weight. So it was a collaborative. Yeah, it was rad. completely collaborative. And it was it was everybody in the band contributing and writing the record. And I'm really proud of that record too because it's cool how the sound kind of evolved, but but we stayed true to like old RKL and the original mm-hmm. sound. we gave it more of like kind of a metal edge yeah and there was a lot of energy in the in in the album still and and the song stayed like still kind of progressive and and rock and roll and metal style but still like old school punk punk style too you know i was really proud of that record actually And the lyrics are very familiar. Like we're back and we're pissed. Like it just has that like kind of theme that you you were used to with. And Jason, such a like you said, the front man. He was the life of the party. He walks in anywhere and he's got stories, jokes. He's got presents. Like he was just this charismatic guy. Even when he got real heavy, he was still charismatic and just able to light up a room. I, I'm wondering because this is kind of probably towards where Lagwagon starts and and RKL ends. Like, I know Joey Cape grew up with these guys from down there too, right? He was from oh, yeah. Yeah. Galita or, or Montecito or one of those Santa Barbara towns. Um, 
the thing that I always wonder is, were you guys in the band together? What, was RKL still a band when NoFX was blowing up? Or did that happen after you guys broke up? NoFX is really blown up. So it's like, what kind of the blown up stages of NoFX are you talking about? I think um, when NoFX no started getting popular, right? They, they started gaining popularity. Uh, and I think that at that point, yes, RKL was still a band because even Riches to Rags era RKL, um, we were opening up for no effects at that point at some European shows and stuff. So, okay. so yeah, we were still together while no effects was starting to get bigger and bigger, you know, um, where, when they really blew up, I think RKL was, was done, but RKL reformed so many times without success. You know what I mean? There uh, were all iterations of it that never um, were accompanied by a recording, you know, and different lineups and stuff like that. So, mm. so Bomber, when, when I, when I, I quit music for a while. Right. And I mean, I don't know what kind of like era you want to get into, but like, you know, after RKL like broke up for good, you know, I, I, started uh doing odd jobs and things like that i think i worked in a, a, a in a body shop for a while yeah i worked for fucking uh earl shives because oh. i worked in a body shop before and i was like masking off cars and then my my good buddy uh bill beach was working for um for sega you remember bill right i fucking Paul, love bill, bill beach, beach yeah <laughs> and, and Paul Cardinale, where are you yeah Paul, <laughs> shout out <laughs> yes, I forget these names, but when I hear them, I just light up. Yeah, so Bill was working for uh, for Sega back then, and then uh, since I worked, he got me my first job in the video game industry um, at Sega in customer service because he was working in customer service. But this was when I was still like doing the slang stuff, oh. and. Um, and uh, so uh, after RKL broke up, um, I was working at Earl Shad, and then I, I got my first job working for Sega, and then I and then and then I worked for Sega as a video game tester, and then I worked for Sony PlayStation when the first PlayStation came out. Whoa! Yeah, so I don't know if you knew that, but like, uh. yeah, man, I was in the video game industry for a long time. Yeah. Were you ever crossing paths with Fedge? Because he was at Sega, I think, or one of those places. Yeah, man. I worked at uh, Sega when Fedge worked at Sega. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'd walk into his cubicle, dude, and had all of his fucking Santa Cruz shit. I think he even had a life-size uh, poster of him doing, like, like, the gymnast plant in there. Oh. <laughs> Gotta let him know. Okay, so that's when the video game stuff begins, and then somehow you guys regrouped, right? Like you yeah. did one last attempt at Arcale, and that's kind of when the tragedies really begin. Exactly, yeah. So so I'm working for Sony PlayStation, and I get a call from Bomber, right? And Bomber, okay, well, before that, it, just to touch with, with a little backstory too, is um, I'm working for Sony PlayStation, and I'm saying, fuck music. I want to start a career in testing video games. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like there could be worse jobs, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, for music to testing video games, you know, my life isn't so bad after all. And, 
I start jamming with Bomber again, Bomber and Boz, and and this is after the other breaks up, and this is another reformation of the other, and this is and we we're we're like writing songs of an album that never came out because because it, there's a recording of it somewhere and I can't fucking find it, but we start jamming together. And uh, and it's Boz on drums, it's me on bass, and Bomber playing guitar and singing. So it's a three piece now. Oh. And we start writing new songs, and and the and the musical style now that Bomber is experimenting with is like is like 60, 60s style Beatles garage rock, <laughs> which nice. is which is super cool for like what like you know. Um, I think it was about 96, 97, right? Mm, okay. Because this is before like the hives and the strokes and shit. And those guys started doing it. So Bomber was always on the pulse of the next big thing. Oh. He could just never really like get it done to fruition. You uh -huh. know, so crazy, man. Um, in in but, retrospect, uh, like when you're looking back at it, would it just have been smart to say, this is bomber from RKL, but not call it RKL. Like it's an it's whatever. It's a new name because people would affiliate it, and then they'd have some. But if they knew it was a new project by the guy that they loved, maybe it would have been a little more successful for them. Yeah, I I don't know about that. You know, it was like really weird. It was a really weird time for music. It. it at that time right like mm. it's just it's it's like that whole thing where you just have to get lucky you know right it, it's like you just have to be discovered as the next big thing i mean obviously in the 90s like the whole pop punk thing the whole punk resurgence was going on so i was working for playstation while like fucking bands like Lagwagon and um and no use for a name and pennywise and no effects are doing warp tours and getting huge and selling tons of cds and stuff like that right mm -hmm. but bomber never really wanted to do that he always had some other idea in his head mm. so, so i don't think there was a, like a lot of people backing him i mean fat mike did because he did put out that other album on honest on's records you know yeah um, but that that was even like a little bit different than the pop punk that was going on that was getting really super super popular you know so so bomber was always trying to do something different it was just the wrong time mm. you know wrong okay. place or wrong backing or whatever and that and plus he was a complete pile of shit. He could never, you know what i mean it was like he was crazy he was high on drugs so it was hard for him to 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 get anybody to to stay in the band to be to tolerate him you know yeah uh yeah that problem as well and and it just it was always such a such a scene with him i mean it, it it took a lot to to be able to play music with him it was like incredible it's such a great opportunity but after a while i was kind of like fuck you dude i can't handle you anymore you know i need to quit sorry yeah, I get it. I've had the same experience with people where you're like, you're such an amazing person, but you're a pile of shit on drugs. Yeah. 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 And I that's think we, tough. We've all probably experienced that with, with a sibling, a family member, um, parent, uh, band member, 
a, a friend, you know what I mean? It's like, I think everybody can um, sympathize with that, but it, you know, he was just fucking crazy beyond compare. It was like, you know, he was just a, a, a musical genius, but he was also like, just like um, a wrecked soul, you know? Mm. Yep. Troubled soul, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, but uh, just to move forward with my story, like it, that's exactly what happened with this like, incarnation of the other, like me and, and, and Boz were just like, fuck this. We can't play with him anymore. So later, and then, and then four years later, I think, or two years later, calls me up again. And he's like, I want to get RKL back together. This time I want to get the original band back together. He's like, talk about Chris and Barry and Jason and me. Um, and, and it may now thinking in retrospect is probably my fault that it didn't happen. But I said no, because I didn't want to deal with the shit anymore. Uh, and I said, fuck, fuck no. Um, and then I don't know why Barry didn't do it or, or he wasn't a part of it. I think it was more probably of convenience. That was the next iteration of RKL. And, and what it was was Bomber playing bass now and Derek Plord playing drums. Jeez. Uh, and, and Chris Flippin from Lagwagon playing uh, guitar and Chris Rest playing guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that didn't last too long. That didn't last too long. They couldn't handle Bomber either. Yeah. I mean, so they, once you're at that point, it's like, it's tough. I mean, those drugs that they're doing, like you said, it's not, it's not, uh, alcohol and weed levels. It's, it's a lot higher than that. And it's addicting and it's just so there's so much to it. And I think the sadness comes along with the dependency, you know, and then it just goes downhill. It's really depressing for your loved ones to watch and for you to be in it. Um, it's, it's tough. Yeah. So, so yeah. that kind of brings us to like, I think it's a uh, 2005 ish where, uh, I mean, there's a lot of deaths real close to each other. Right. Yeah. So, so, so there were a lot of like incarnations of RKL when, when they kicked bomber out of the band, they called me and asked me if I wanted to play bass. That was in 2000, 2001. And so, of course, with Bomber out of the picture, I said, fuck yes, I'll do this, this you mm. know. I was working for a dot-com at that, at that point when the dot-com boom hit San Francisco, which was also the downfall of fucking San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, like, there goes the fucking lovely 90s San, oh, San Francisco <laughs> tubes. You know, it was still fun, but it was like, that, that's, that was the start of the downfall. You know what I mean, right? Twelve dollar burritos and uh, just rent through the roof. Yeah, it was yep. it was crazy. Yeah. yeah, the Google buses; those were real great. They're out there with their poo poos. People getting picked up in buses to get taken down to Cupertino. I was like, "Fuck!" The whirly yeah. I know. Isn't that isn't that crazy? Yeah. But at that point, you know, it's me playing bass. Derek Derek Plord on drums now, and that same lineup with that I just explained earlier. Um, Chris Flip on guitar, Chris Rest on guitar, Jason, me. But dude, like, like we never had any killer shows. Like Jason was was fucked up on drugs at that point too. And it's like, 
It would have been as bad as Bomber because Bomber is just like, you know, just a, a psycho, you know. He's just hard to deal with. He took a lot of energy to deal with. Jason was really easy to deal with, but he was also high on drugs. So we got like shitty shows all the time and no one would show up. There'd be no promotion. There'd be like no management, nothing. It'd just be like Jason saying, yeah, it, you guys want to play a show in Hemet? You know, <laughs> There's going to be a whole bunch of like BMX bros there and stuff. It's going to be huge, huge RKL fans. You know, it's like, it's like, fuck, dude. <laughs> 50 people show up. Yeah. You know, it, it sucked. Um, but uh, Jason started getting really bad at that point. Um, Derek started using again too, you know? And then at, at, we're trying to to write new music too, and a lot of these like demos that we recorded um, got put out on uh, on the reissue of the greatest hits on Destiny, uh, the live album. It has like bonus tracks of like these new RKL tunes that we were writing at that point with Jason singing, and um, it was Dave, some of Dave playing drums, some of. Derek Plord playing drums. I believe some of Boz playing drums too, but Derek started using again and becoming a pile. So we had to kick him out of the band at that point. Fuck. So Boz Rivera from the other and King City and the like, no use for a name, he comes in and plays drums at that point. And at that point, we start fucking kind of ripping again because Boz is an amazing drummer too. And, um, and at that point, that's when the band starts like really falling apart. And and Jason like uh, starts using really bad. And then, dude, like towards the end of his life, it, it's fucking insane. Like, have you ever seen that movie Requiem for a Dream? Uh-uh. No? Oh, my God. For people out there, it's a very disturbing movie, but it's about a heroin addict. Um, I don't want to ruin it for you or anybody who hasn't seen it, but at the end this this heroin addict gets like these huge abscesses on his arms like from infections from shooting up and um jason had four of those fucking things oh wow two on his legs and two on his arms and and i apologize for saying this because i don't want to ruin anybody's you know image of him but i want to just let people know how dangerous this fucking drug is and how it ruins people good people talented people mm. so let this be a lesson for anybody who ever does it it's this is like the unpretty side of it that no one ever gets to see you and, know and that was before fentanyl like now it's like your addiction problem plus you could just die from taking the drugs because it could have too much fentanyl in it like the shit is just it's it's so much of a gamble nowadays yeah, and, and here's another like PSA, I guess I should tell people from me having tons of experience. It's even more dangerous now because of fentanyl, like you said, because it's not only in fucking heroin, it's in your fucking cocaine, it's mm. in your fucking weed, it's in e pills, it's in every fucking drug that's out there. So, so kids, I mean, people out there, like, don't score any fucking drugs off the street. If you're going to fucking be doing drugs, get them from a reliable source or from your doctor if you really need them. But more importantly, don't get hooked on them in the first place. Mm -hmm. But just use responsibly and don't ruin your fucking life.
You better leave this shit in. Don't be telling this is negative or not. This is life. <clears throat> like I said, I've lost some people the same way and I've lost some people that I wasn't close to. Like, you know, these people were speaking of, I wasn't close to, but they were heroes of mine. They were people that I admired a lot. And I don't get it because we've been working on Market Street. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're putting in a skatable plaza at the UN Plaza right now, right off Market Street between 7th and 8th. It's insane. Like the city's coming down and asking us for advice and like there's just so behind it and it's super cool but it's the epicenter this is where all the fucking freaks are that are just like bent over and can't stand up straight and and they're on these drugs i mean i laughed because i was like dude it is cliche as fuck but it's the walking dead like they look like zombies and and it's the first couple of days because i was down there for like 10 days straight and the first two days or so I would just come home super depressed. Like it's hard seeing that stuff, you know? And I get it, like you're addicted and whatever, but like, look at this shit before you even try anything and see where these avenues are leading. It ain't pretty. Like Jake Phelps used to always say, this ain't no country club. And it's like, <laughs> dude, it's fucking Amen. early out there. You know what I mean? And and And, like you said, come from responsibility, do research. Like we used to always say, you know, when you do drugs, you don't have to do all of them. Like everything with a balance, you know, like if you're going to go like take shrooms, you don't have to take the whole eighth. You can take a couple caps and see what that does to you. You don't have to just go out of your head and risk so much crap. It's just, we don't want to be hypocrites, but we have learned a lot through our life. Getting back to like Derek, he was the first and then jason and bomber they died within like a month of each other right the, but, uh, jason went to tijuana to try to get better is that right he did, he did yeah yeah and and i mean he was pretty far gone and um and i i honestly feel that he probably would have lost limbs at this point because of the that he was in uh in as far as his health is concerned, right? I mean, he needed to get clean or else he was going to be physically like altered for the rest of his life if he Mm. did not stop using, you know? Um, But like all these deaths happen within a year's time. It's crazy. You know, and, and here I am and within like, I had played with all these guys in my lifetime, but more importantly, like, you know, Derek and, and Jason, um, within like the last year, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? These guys yeah. were like a part of my life and I'm losing people left and right, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and Derek was always trouble. He had mental, mental health, uh, issues, bipolar, but also, um, you know, addicted to drugs. And I guess it's my second PSA is that this drug addiction stems from a lot of mental health issues. And if you do have mental health issues, anybody out there, please seek help from people to deal with that first before you take drugs to take care of that problem, because that's not going to solve it. You need to Mm -hmm. solve that problem first. Don't go to drugs because you have mental health issues or baggage. Like try to seek therapy or try to see a doctor or try to seek uh help and advice from your best friends or your family first 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I learned later because I haven't drank for eight years that the alcohol was my medication. Like I was, I was nervous to be around people. I had social anxiety. Like there was probably other things going on, and I drank till I was comfortable. Yeah, and that's why I drank. And then when I stopped drinking, it was really difficult to go be social because I didn't have that crutch anymore. I don't know. I don't know how to say don't do drugs, but like all you need to say is. Drugs are bad. I'm good. I'm <laughs> good. <laughs> well, shit. I mean, so getting through that, like you said, you were with two of the three, like within a year in your lifetime. Like, does that, how much does that weigh on you? And like, does you, I mean, how are you mentally in that time? So I, I mean, it was depressing. I mean, when I heard about Derek, I was actually playing in a band with Derek at the time and he was shredding. I mean, I was doing this project called Jaws mm. in Santa Barbara. Um, and uh, it was with Carter Benson from the Mad Caddies. Uh, he was singing and playing guitar. I was playing bass and Derek was playing drums as a th another three piece. And I love the sound. It was like, it was cool. It was like kind of like a hot snakes um, alkaline trio type of deal. And it was really cool. And, uh, and I knew that Derek was in trouble because the last day of the recording that we did, I walk into Orange Whip in Santa Barbara and and Derek is just sitting in the front lounge with popcorn, fucking just annihilated on heroin. He has popcorn all over him and he's like throwing it in his face, like trying to put it in his mouth and he couldn't even hit it. And mm. I'm like, I'm like, Derek, are you are you OK, bro? Like, are you good? He's like, I'm oh, fine, man. It's just I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. I immediately call Carter and I'm like, dude, you need to come over here. Like you need to, you need to talk to, to Derek. There's really nothing I can do. Um, he's fucked up. The session is not going to happen today. And then um, a month and a half later, he commits suicide. Shoots himself. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So, so how are I was hit hard, man. I mean, here I am. Like uh, I was just doing a musical project with this guy and, 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 and good friends with him and and then he you know he does this to himself and 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 i'm hit really hard and and i just i deal with it in my own type of way i mean back then i was like drinking pretty heavily and so i just started drinking you know mm. and and it hit hard but you know in retrospect i i was like, like thinking like well you know um we need to be really careful about what we do and we need to cherish friendships. And, and Derek, Derek and I actually had a falling out at that time. Oh. We he, Carter wanted me to join the band, but I told Carter that I wouldn't join the band because of Derek. I had a problem with Derek. And I said, if Derek comes to me and apologizes, then maybe I'll consider it. And then Derek got a hold of me and he did. He apologized wholeheartedly and we had a talk and I'm like, Dude, I can forgive you. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'll give people chances. People need to give people chances. You know, that's what life's all about. You can't have hangups about shit. But I was like, if you ever pull that shit again, though, you're fucking cut, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we became friends again. And then he and then he kills himself. And then here I am. But I'm glad I gave them that gave him that second chance. Because if I didn't, you know, I mean, who knows how 
much worse it could have could have been. I mean, it was pretty bad because already he he was troubled. But I mean, it could have happened earlier, and then I would have been like, "Oh shit, he's dead now," and I never had a chance to apologize. Right. No, yeah. friends with him. You know, which is another PSA, I guess, is like, you know, give people second chances, and and life's too short to have hang out the hang ups about shit. Like, just if if, if you know, if you have someone that you love, tell them you love them and just try to work through these fucking issues and just just try to stay friends with people. Don't let shit bother you. Have hangups about things because before you know it, they're going to be gone and you're going to wish that you would have told these people that you love them or you w- would have wished that you would have reconciled any differences that you, you had, you know, so... You know what I want to add to that is like, I haven't talked to you in a long time, maybe 15, I think it was 2005, I'll just say 18 years. I just love that you're the type of person that I have a lot of these people in my life that I don't talk to for a while. And we can just pick up where we left off. And it's like, and that's what good friends are. You know, like all these little things that people are finding to just be like, okay, you're canceled for my life. It's like, Fuck that, dude. Like you said, so I really am right there with you as far as just like apologize to people, talk, let's communicate and work some of this shit out and try to be, I mean, it's rare to have really good friends. So when you do have them, keep them. You just influence somebody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I agree with you, man, because like you've always been a really good friend. We've known each other since childhood. Mm. And and those are the type of good friends where you just pick up where you left off. It doesn't matter how many years. It's like we're just shooting the shit. We're just talking about old stuff and and new stuff. And 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 just and I'm glad that 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 you're still alive and on this planet and we can talk about stuff like this. And it's and those are like the things that you have to cherish and enjoy and and i'm glad you're, you're, you're sober i'm five months now oh and, nice yeah and and i want to go for like a long time i really don't have the the urge to drink again you know because um i've seen too many people like just get health issues or or just or just treat themselves to death or you know i could see these things starting to happen and i had a problem and and I realized it, and so I, I, I figured out I needed to stop, and I'm way fucking happier these days than I was ever drinking. Okay, I got a PSA. I'm throwing in a PSA. Sweet, PSA time. <laughs> Children and people younger than 40, once you hit 40, your body starts to decline. You lose your eyesight. You feel a lot worse when you're hungover. Do your alcohol from your 25 to 35 range, and start trying to get off it in your 30s and you'll live a wonderful life you know we had a wonderful party life it was very intense and uh i hold it i hold it dear but um yeah i just think man i swear to god i tell people the minute you turn 40 go to the eye doctor you're gonna need glasses because <laughs> that's what happened to me <laughs> you know what's funny is that i i i mean and i partied for fucking tons of lifetimes i can't even believe that i'm still fucking on the planet right now yeah you know it's insane i've gone through so much shit i've probably gone through so much shit and so many drugs so many alcohol all that crap 
you know, loss of friends and everything that that would last, you know, fucking 50 people's lifetimes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's the other thing. When you get away with something that's like you look back and you're like, holy shit, I could be dead. Like you kind of rolled the dice and, and won. You don't want to keep rolling those dice because you're a bit, all it takes is once, as they say. But I want to get to your current life because I don't really know a lot about like how Lagwagon, you obviously weren't originally in Lagwagon and I'm guessing through RKL and no effects and your connections, you probably knew people and, and all that. But like, how has that been? I mean, you guys just played the Cow Palace, I think, didn't you? Yeah. How well, cool is that? <laughs> I know. It's insane, like, being from the Bay Area and say, yeah, I played at the Cow Palace. But <laughs> a couple of caveats there. I, I um, saw Hulk Hogan there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I saw Fish there when I fucking first got there. Yeah. And and he, like, just walked by. It was right before, like, at the beginning of it, before any b- bands were playing, I was just going out to the merch booth to say hi to the production team and other people that were there. And Fish rolled by, and he's like, he's like, what's up, Joe? Good to see you. And he was like, obviously in a hurry, doing something. I don't know what he was doing, man. But I was like, I was like, holy fuck, Fish. I'm like, dude, I haven't seen you. And he's like, in a hurry. And it was just like, I wanted to talk to him. I was like, no. <laughs> let's catch up but yeah, yeah. Uh, but a couple of caveats there it wasn't our show it was no effects show no effects show okay uh, you know, they had line we didn't have line but uh, i wish we did but um but we, and we didn't play inside we played at the in the parking lot <laughs> oh outside yeah yeah i saw photos of actually this dude hit me up and was like you should come and da 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 and i, I didn't know the date or whatever and then my friend toad texted me a photo and he's like where are you and i was like home and he's like you're supposed to be here and i was like where are you and he's like i'm at the cow palace lag wagon and no effects are playing i was like ah dude <laughs> like, yeah and, and it was crazy we go we got we kind of got clipped on our our guest list too it's so weird it's like you play these like big shows and stuff and then and then they're like oh yeah you get one vip guest and one person backstage and i'm like well I got my girlfriend. I, mean, I don't know who will be getting VIP. It was like, oh, but uh, general access, you can get like two more people in. So I'm like, this sucks, dude. I'm in fucking the Bay Area. Like, give me at least 20. Okay. Yeah. Then we can start from there. But yeah. otherwise, I would have like reached out to everybody and, and and told them to come. And I definitely would have reached out to you and invited you. But next time, you're invited to the next Lagwagon show if you want to go. Okay. Yeah. So what's it all about? What, what do we got going? And also real quick, because I don't, I, I think his name is Chris. It's not Chris rest, but Chris, uh, yeah. So is that the big guy? It's big dude. Yeah. I got a story. So 1993, I drive down to, I think Isla Vista We're partying with these people and Jeff Toland, he comes over and he's like, Hey, you guys want to go skate? And we're like, yeah, he had a key to get into the Powell warehouse, like the indoor park. And we go in there and that dude was dating this girl that was a full on skater. And she um, was really good friends with the guy I was with. So we were, I forget her name, but she was kind of short and had red. Joanne. 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 Yeah. 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 So we, and I met that dude that like nineties. Right. But 
that was it. I never saw him again, but we had a great time and night and whatever. When I saw the photo of your band and him in it, it was like undeniably the same guy. I was like, I mean, he's a big guy. He's like identifiable. I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. I was like, dude, the circle just keeps completing. It's just like fucking crazy life. No, I know. Um, I, I want to add this too. Uh, so maybe uh, if if the listeners want to help out, um, Flip. We call him Flip. His name's Chris Flippin, but his his nickname's Flip. Flip mm. uh, had uh, suffered a, a, a coronary. Uh, like it was an infection. He basically had a heart attack, but it wasn't a heart attack. He had he had cl- blood clots in his arteries, wow. um, a, a blood infection. Uh, he still has AFib, but he got like really fucked up on tour with his other band versus the world in Germany. Wow. And so he he can't tour right now with the band and he can't work and stuff. So we have a GoFundMe set up for him. So I'll send you the details if anybody wants to help him out. He's he's having a rough time right now. Yeah, and I'll put the link in the description text that goes along with this podcast. So if anybody wants to help out, please do and and click on that link and that'll go to him. Yeah, dude, we're always I always want to help the homies. Damn. Yeah, and it, it and it sucks. I mean, he's he's rolling through it. He he now has a cardiologist. He's he's going to appointments. He's getting procedures done. They're they're looking at his heart at his heart all the time, but um, he uh, he still can't work or tour, so he needs help. And he lives he actually lives in San Jose too. So oh, wow. um, yeah, it's it's expensive to live in the Bay Area, as you know. <sighs> and so he can't he can't work right now. And you know, so anything you guys could give is much appreciated. And and thank you in advance. You know, we're trying to help the guy out like money would be one less thing he has to worry about. He's already bummed out that he can't play music. Music is his whole life. And he's uh-huh. dedicated everything to it. And, and, uh, you know, so so he would really appreciate it. We would appreciate it. Stuff like that, too. So thank you. How's the chemistry of the band? Like, how did, who, who calls you to, do you have to try out or are you already Lil Joe from RKL? So they're like, if you're in, you're in. Uh, well, I mean, there was like pretty much kind of a, a, an audition period. So what happened was um, uh, Jesse Buglioni, who's the original bass player of the band, he quit the band. He he didn't want to have any part of it anymore. Um, he, he had a kid. And so he wanted to be there for his kid, you know, and his wife. And and he already uh, had been on tours and kind of missed a lot of milestones. And he just wanted to be there for, for his child, you know, and I totally get it. Um, so they had auditioned another bass player, I believe. And and, and the ba- other bass player, um, you know, they were like, I don't know, like, like maybe we need to audition someone else. I think my name came up. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, if, if, if you, if you want to come and audition for us, like, you know, come and come and do it. We're doing like a box set and celebrating, you know, I think it was like a third, like 25th or 30th anniversary, 25th anniversary. I think it was. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. It was like, I was on contract over at, uh, electronic arts and, they asked me to do a tour that was like right after my contract. So I was like, this lines up perfectly. Huh. Um, so. And Chris so, Rest was already in the band, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it basically Lagwagon is ironically 
RKL with Joey K. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody in and has been in RKL at one point or another, you know? Yeah. So I know these are all my homies. You okay. know what I mean? These are all my fucking homies. Dave Braun's playing drums. Chris Rest is playing guitar. Uh, Flippin's playing guitar, you know? So I was like, fuck yes, dude, this is going to be awesome. So I learned all the songs, uh, come to practice and, and, you know, I nail it. And they're like, yeah, dude, you're, you're in, if you want it. And you're doing, well, at least you're doing this tour, you know? And so we, we did the tour and then I ended up being a pile to go back to, you know, drinking. I mean, I didn't have a job anymore. Uh, I was on tour after taking a lot of time off. Um, and I was with my homies. So so me and the two Chris's, we just fucking raged the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we kind just had the best time ever. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was pretty much a pile. I mean, I got to say that I was, I was pretty unprofessional. I, uh, I kind of, kind of went in feeling comfortable and I fucked up a few shows and, and Dave Ron was sober and so was Joey Cape. So I'm sure they weren't really too happy with it. You know, Dave, Dave would have a couple of talks with me and say, dude, you can't do this type of shit. You know, you need to be on top of it. Like when you play and then um, uh, I'm not proud of this story, but it's a, it's a funny story. Uh, <laughs> so I'll mention it. Um, and it's known, so it's not the first time I'm throwing it out there, but, but I'll tell you after the tour, uh, uh, there was, there was a, like a festival that we played the, the, the night before and, and I continued to drink all night and, and stumbled out of the bus for our plane ride home. And I was wasted. And so I continued to drink before we got on the plane and then I was taking pictures with random people in the airport. And and I, and I took a picture with the head of security of Frankfurt Airport. <laughs> Wrong person to take a picture with. Um, you need to delete this picture. This is, you can't do this. You know, she grabbed my camera. She was about to take it, but I went in and deleted it. But she knew I was drunk and she had it out for me, out uh-huh. for me. So she figured out what flight I was on and tried to get me kicked off the airplane. And it was not only me, and we did that tour with no use for a name, too. So she was trying to kick Lagwagon off the plane and no use for a name out. Because oh, I was too drunk. And and the fucking big guy, Flip, came and saved my ass. And he was drinking with me, too, all morning at the airport. And, and uh, she was talking to the stewardess trying to get me kicked off the plane. The flight is being delayed because of me. Uh, and I'm already in my seat, passed out. <laughs> <laughs> passed the fuck out in my seat. And and she gets the pilot out there. And then the pilot's going like, what, what the hell is going on here? Like, she's like, this guy's way too fucking drunk to be on this plane. I want him kicked out. I want everybody else who's affiliated with him kicked off the airplane. They're all drunk too. And she's like screaming and everybody's looking at me. And thank God I was, I was passed out because I would have been like really embarrassed, right? I'd be like, I, pro- I probably would have been so drunk. I'd be like, there guys, I'm off the plane. I'll yeah. You know? <laughs> Like don't don't take the, don't kick these guys off the plate. I'm I'm the I'm the one who's responsible, right? Mm. Well, Flip fucking went up to the plate, went and talked to the pilot. He fucking talked to the pilot. He said, "Hey, look, dude, I, I just want to tell you that this guy's scared of flying, and he needs to get drunk to get on the on the plane, and he's not going to be a hassle at all. In fact, look at him. 
He's already passed out. He's sleeping. He's not going to be a threat to anybody right now. And at that point, the pilot went, get the hell off my plane to the head of Frankfurt security. Oh, fuck yeah. So she got off the plane. So you heard this story secondhand probably from Chris because you're passed out. (laughs) Yep. We all arrived in San Francisco and I'm like kind of saying bye to everybody and I'm wondering why they're all standoffish. (laughs) Oh, shit. So was that kind of like, was that rough waters? And then you had to just be like, no, no, I got it. Well, I mean, I was wondering kind of what happened and then I was told what happened. I'm like, oh, my God. And this is when Tony Sly was still in the band and shit. And I'm just like, oh, my my God. Or before Tony died, not in the band. He was always in the band, but before he died. And and Mm. I felt bad. Here's my heroes. You know, I get an opportunity to play with a big band and and we're doing really well and stuff like that. And uh, for the uh, for the next tour, like. I didn't get asked back. <laughs> oh, really? I heard Sidewinder was doing tours and I wasn't being asked to play bass. And I was like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. I seriously fucked up. And they, they were trying to get someone else in, in the band to play bass. And uh, this was probably about a year after that whole incident happened. And then I started talking to Chris and Chris was like, well, you weren't exactly, you know, the most professional. You almost got us kicked off the plane he's like you know you kind of blew it a little bit hate to say it and then i felt like really super bad and i was playing I believe i was playing for the dwarfs at that time too doing shows with them on and off oh really yeah i did a stint with the dwarfs for a little while oh fuck yeah and uh and so what i did was was i i i emailed joey Kate. And I apologize for my behavior. And I said, I, I knew I know you guys are are touring again and, and have plans to tour again. Um, and, and I don't expect to be back in the band, but I want just wanted to say I wanted to apologize for anything that I that I done. I know that like I was unprofessional and I apologize. I learned a big huge lesson from this whole thing. And I hope you guys do great. But like I hope we can be friends afterwards, you know. Mm. And after I did that, they audition another bass player and then i got the call back and then i've been in the band ever since what year was that that you've got in there uh two th- the first tour i did with lagwag was in 2010 and then when i got asked back in was 2011 so and you've I've been, been in the band for like 12 years how many records have you put out um with me on the records we put out two two okay. records is it on fat records or is it epitaph or is it uh, fat records? Yeah. Fat records. Know. But like you're playing bigger shows and you're probably taken care of a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get a sponsor. Like, do you get free, I don't know, guitars or anything like, yeah, well, I mean, I already had been endorsed by Fender, um, before I joined Lagwagon, but, oh, but I'm endorsed by Fender and, and Ernie ball. Um, oh. Jake, I want to give it a shout out to, uh, Jason Klein and Michael Schultz over over out at Fender, you know, and Seymour Duncan, Derek Duncan, and uh, Ernie Ball strings and Ernie Ernie Ball products. You it's know? all you want. It's like Spitfires and Indies. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what's funny is like I consider myself to pretty much be sponsored by Powell because I've been friends with Mikey Taylor for fucking years, and he's like, anytime you need anything, just let me know. So, Reds. 
it's like, you know, I get, I get, um, I get stuff from Powell whenever I need any skate gear and stuff like that. And fuck yeah. You know, so, so it's cool. It's, it's really cool to know people, but the, I think the best thing about being in Lagwagon is that I got treated better than, than anybody else I've ever played with in, in my entire career. I, I made more money in Lagwagon than, than I ever made it with other, any other band that, that I've ever played with, uh, getting treated better, playing bigger shows. Um, I, I I play with all my homies, you know. So it's like, I mean, dude, Dave Ron is the first drummer I ever played with. I can't. And I still play with him. Like, dude, I've known that guy ever since kindergarten. I went to. We went to the same like grade school, and I play in a band with him professionally still to this day in my fifties. Can you fucking believe that? Not many I mean, people can say that. You can't even write this shit. Like, is Dave Cotter the roadie? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I wish he was, you know. What, what's crazy is that I just had lunch a couple of uh, months ago with Dave Cotter and, and Dan Jung. And oh. we came up after all these years and kind of hung out. Yeah. Forgot about Dan Jung, too. I still Jung hung too. out with Mike Alcatar and Chad Blakeney, too. Okay, where's Chad at? Redwood Shores. Redwood Shores. Oh, wow. Redwood. I love it. Yeah, because... Man, me and Chad used to skate a lot together. He would be my ride. We'd meet at Go Skate, and then he would take me up to Devil's Pit and or Miley and then get back in time to work with Larry. So I think those were our Tuesday missions. We would go up to the city and stuff. And, yeah, he yeah. was a guy who was into music, too, who kind of turned me on to it, like maybe No Means No or some of these early bands that I I learned through him. So I always had love for that guy. His parents owned a a car dealership in San Carlos where I grew up. So it was all these things, but um, yeah, like what, uh, if you were going to recommend a song for Lagwagon that like, I don't like I hate, and I'm not, this isn't an insult. It just, I never really got into them. And so I don't know much about it, but like what song would you go, Oh, you should listen to this to like start your way into getting into the band. Well, knowing um, the type of music that, that you're into and the type of music that you like, I, I would say uh, listen to like Trash because Trash has a more like raw punk metal sound and it's a little more progressive. It sounds a little bit like like RKL. You can hear that influence in there and um, and uh, Derek's drumming and stuff is like very bomber influenced and, and stuff like that. So I would say listen to Trash first, and then and then move into the, like the later stuff. And I would say listen to Railer the 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 latest record because then you'll you'll hear Trash, um, and then you'll hear like the new stuff, right? Mm. And listen to those both albums or those two albums, and and then just kind of like. Um, you know, look at the transition from when, they, what they were then and, and what we are now, you know? Okay. I mean? And have any of the songs been used in movies or commercials or anything like that? Um, that I don't know. Uh, as far as I know, um, no, but then again, Joey has written most of the songs mm. and, uh, if that did happen, he would probably know it and see mm -hmm. it it's like royalties or something okay um i've, I've helped uh write songs too so right. so I, I know the songs that i've written for Lagwagon have it but uh weird thing is that uh i was in the real mckenzie's for five years 
What? And, wow, yeah, I, was in I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and a war kilt and everything. I played in a fucking Scottish punk rock band for, for five years. Yeah, That rips. Yeah, and uh, and I helped write a lot of well, I produced with Fat Mike and and Jamie over at at um, at, at Motor. Uh, we uh, we produced uh, this this album off the leash, mm-hmm. and I had a huge part of that album. I, I played a lot of the instruments and stuff. I even played guitar solos, a lot of the guitars, guitar solos, things like that. They even play keyboards, a lot of stuff. Like I had to basically kind of. And and I could say this quite earnestly, uh, save the album, so to speak, mm. because I came in and out, and then it was just me and Jamie and Fat Mike who had to finish it, you know. But right. it came it came out really well, and and it's it, surprisingly like not a fan favorite at first, uh, because we explored like a whole bunch of different musical styles. There's like Celtic songs, there's like country songs, there's like like a ballad, you know, like kind of like a a, a ballad, like a waltz style ballad, but it's oh, all think, traditional. Oh, it's it's like all in kind of traditional, like kind of like an Irish Scottish um, vein, you know. It's all about Celtic music and and that style of music, but it's like ripping hardcore too. Is it but, kind of pogues or no? It's little pogues. It's like a little bad religion. It's like a little suicidal tendencies. It's like. I got to check it. I got to check it. It's all over the fucking place. And I think that's why the fans were like, what the fuck is this? But it (laughs) ended up being like one of the best selling albums. And this song chip that we wrote, uh, dude, it is like the, the king of royalties, like out of every other song and every other band that I've been a part of, this song keeps on popping up in, in TV shows and commercials and in in uh movies and shit like that it was uh in that show billions it was it was in a ford commercial that was aired in australia during during the super bowl what the fuck wow so you get some good uh little cheddar on your burger every once in a while yeah (laughs) and it's it's only that fucking song it's it's such a trip and 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 that's like when I was writing songs for the Real Mackenzies at that time, I started thinking about this shit. Like I I wrote a song called "Drink Some More," you know, and it's like a it's like a drinking chant song that they still play to this day at every show, and it's it's a fan favorite, you know, and it, it's like there's like a you know a sing along and stuff like that. And I wrote that as like kind of like um you know like uh basically a sing along. Um, and, and it has a sing-along called, you know, and we drink and we drink and we drink some more. And the crowd goes, oh, okay. Yeah. Like it's an anthem. That's an what anthem, yeah, like, like yeah. a soccer game or something. And, ah. Exactly. And I wrote that song to be in a fucking beer commercial, but no beer company has ever fucking picked it up. So anybody out there, if you work for a beer company, Let's Pick up this song, Drink Some More by The Real Mackenzies and get it out there. Or put it in a fucking, like, like uh, uh, I don't know, like a sports game or something else like that. You know what I mean? And then really start getting that chatter in. But but yeah, man, that, that chip from The Real Mackenzies is is what gets always picked up as far as, like, the publishing and stuff like that. And uh, 
yeah that's the song that gets gets it all the time i, got, I yeah. didn't know about like the the dwarves and all that stuff too um with the majority of the band Lagwagon being at, like one time in RKL, I know that you guys have played an RKL song live. Is that tradition or is that just occasion or like, how does that come about? We've only played one RKL song in the history of the band. As far as I know, maybe it happened. Oh, oh like, I must've saw the video. Cause yeah, it, you, just, I, you just saw the video about one time we did it oh. and, it, and it was, it was in Ventura, which was like close to Oxnard. And, and someone and, else sang. And someone else sang, yeah. Because oh. we were doing this thing called the RK Aliens, you know? It wasn't really RKL, but we were calling it the RK Aliens. And we were having people come up on stage to sing different songs. So it was like a kind of an RKL karaoke thing. Oh. But it was really cool. And we did about like... Uh, I don't know. I want to say like five shows or something. We play, we even played this uh, festival in Spain too, which was awesome. And um, da uh, Damien, our friend from from Santa Barbara, uh, Damien Franco, he was the dude that would come in and do the RK Alien stuff. So when we we were in Ventura, Damien was there, and we're like. Let's play Scab on My Brain. And Joey was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And gave the mic to Damien and we played Scab on My Brain for the venture. Uh, uh, it was for a uh, uh, Punk and Drublet show. Yeah. Okay, sick. Yeah, well, besides, cool. besides the Ramones, who have you met being in Lagwagon that was like kind of like a pinnacle for you? Like if you ran into Lemmy or I don't know who, but like, or you played with somebody that you were like, holy shit, I'm in the presence of this guy now. Well, yeah, Lagwagon has gotten to play with a lot of bands, but I mean, in this day and age, because there's so many festivals and stuff like that, it's, um, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, everyone, like we're all peers. I mean, for me, like, um playing with the descendants or 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 meeting those guys for the first time was like right. a big deal yeah me, you know? like meeting milo and getting to be just like hi <laughs> yeah exactly you know and um and i gotta say the subhumans but you know what's funny is that is that uh i met more icons with the real mckenzie <laughs> oh. i have to say in my whole music career yeah who who would be a, a top most iconic at the top is I got to meet Ronnie James Dio. Wow. Cause, that, cause that's we, my wife's favorite. Yeah. Love because she that. didn't know of it. And she's just like rainbow in the dark. Like she just was like tripping on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sick. Yeah. Yeah. It was fucking radical. So real Mackenzie's were playing in Holland with, uh, with Dio, like in Holland, they have these like public venues that are sponsored by the country. They make these fucking epic venues and there's like four or five venues in the whole thing. There's like a dance club. There's like a smaller venue. There's a mid venue and then a big venue. And uh, Dio was playing the big venue and real McKenzie's were playing like like the, the medium venue. And they were playing it the same night. So like at Soundcheck, I went out and checked out Dio Soundcheck. And um, 
And I was just like, holy fuck, this is rad. I'm like sitting here, there's no one else here. And I'm watching a Dio show like in front of me. Oh, you know what my... I mean? Okay. It was incredible. And then and then uh, Rudy Sarzo, who also played in- Upside down bass. Bum, 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 In Quiet Riot. <laughs> Quiet Riot in, uh, in Ozzy Osbourne. Really great friends with um, um, Randy Rhodes, you know what I mean? Like epic bass player, you know, <laughs> iconic. I got to meet him for the first time there wow. too. Okay. But the, the most epic thing was meeting Ronnie James Dio and talking to him because we all shared the same backstage area. Oh. And, and so our guitar player, Bone, went back there because he's like, He's just, he doesn't give a shit. And he's a funny guy. And he, he's just like, he knows, Ronnie James Dio is like one of his favorite artists of all time too. He's Canadian and he loves hockey. He knows that Ronnie James Dio loves hockey too. So he just walks backstage, introduces himself and just starts talking with Ronnie James Dio about hockey. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's amazing. See, those yeah. are the moments like you're never, no matter what your success level is, you're never too jaded to appreciate these moments that like bring you back to your childhood and kind of give you an idea of why you're where you are. Yeah. And I got a funny story about uh, that whole experience um, because it has to do with skateboarding. Okay. I, I had my skateboard on that tour and I would skateboard everywhere. Um, like I was backstage. And I had my board backstage and it was me and Bone and we were riding the elevator, big venue, you know, so we were riding the elevator down. Well, three members of, of the Dio band uh, had had come into the elevator too. And Bone was with me for the sound check as well. He was watching it. And so, you know, he knew which player played what or whatever, you know. And, um, and so we got down to the first floor I got down and I put my board down, you know, I skated away to the bus, you know, rightly so. And Bone was left like walking with the rest of the band. And and I guess the uh, the keyboard player tried to clown me. They're like, oh man, like, look at me, I'm from California, dude. And I got my skateboard, you know, and to the rest of the band and Bone, as quick and witty as he was, he was like, well, I'd rather ride a skateboard than play a keyboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dog. Oh, and dude, the rest God. of the band started laughing at him, at the keyboard player, and he was so chapped, dude. He was so chapped. He was like, oh, man. I, I like that. That rules. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> well, dude, oh, I, I, had, I had Dio sign my jacket, too, my leather. Of course. Like, you... Man, that's an amazing moment, right? Like, Dio, what, who do you, like, this is a tough one, but as far as the bass guitar and the history of it, you know, who's your guy? Like, if you only get one guy, is it is it Getty Lee? Is it fucking uh, Lemmy? Is it, I mean, there's a lot of, like, Paul McCartney. There's a lot of people that played bass, but who... And Mike Watt, who inspires you? Like, this is a guy that I really respect and think that he's just above everybody, maybe a little bit. Um, well, so this is always a hard question. And, and it's like, whenever you it's ask too people, hard. 
Well, I mean, I've thought about it before, and I've been asked this question in, in podcasts, so I'm a little more prepared for it than I, than I am. But I always give like kind of like a little different answer every time, just because I have the opportunity to. But there's a lot of bass players that that shape my playing um, throughout the years, uh, and and I have to say, Lemmy is like probably my like number one, you know. Mm. But, but as far as like bass playing, he's like he's not like the the most he's the most iconic right and and obviously he's a fucking awesome bass player uh um but the most influential bass player is for me is like the bass player that i started noticing and picking up on things when i was growing up and and starting to get into bass and stuff like that and like there's so many bass players that i can name out there that have influenced me because there's tons who have you know and, mm. and and there's there's obviously the greats you know all all the people that you had mentioned and more um but i have to say that john paul jones from zeppelin mm. was probably the most influential bass player that shaped my playing because his like i i'm a big huge zeppelin fan and like growing up as a kid you know as a tween it's always been like acdc and zeppelin you know yep like the yin and yang you know it's like acds was like the rock and roll powerhouse and then zeppelin was like you know like kind of like the the more um refined not like we're super proggy but like riffy as fuck and like mm. really well balanced with with the 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 instruments and 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 the arrangements and the well, they had such a solid backbeat with the drum and the bass together, like Bonham and Jump. I mean, Beastie Boys are sampling them for reasons, you know? Yeah. Killer rhythm section, you know what I mean? And killer guitar player. And even as as far as guitar, too, Jimmy Page is probably my biggest influence as a guitar player. Like, bro, mm. like he was my biggest influence, you know? Okay. Yeah. So that band was really influential on me, but John Paul Jones more so because his fucking bass lines, like they make the songs. Like a, a lot of a lot of people listen to songs, and and if they're not a bass player or whatever, like a lot of like that gets overlooked for the overall composition and sound, and 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 not only that, people remember, you know, um, Jimmy Page and John Bonham, like you know what I mean, like the biggest you know, like people in the band or whatever. Um, and Robert Plant too, obviously, but like John Paul Jones, he, he, he always was the guy that said, no one cares about me. I can just walk around. I could walk in the lobby and no one would know who the fuck I was. It was all yeah. about the guys. And that's what I kind of love about it too. You know, he's like under the radar, but like his bass lines, super melodic. Okay. super important to the song's compositions mm -hmm. and he's just a fucking phenomenal fucking player you know and musician so i'm, I'm gonna say john paul jones okay and i think i was talking to my wife about this and i like to spit out fun facts that maybe aren't facts but um i was okay. saying that i think lemmy is one i know lemmy played left-handed which is unique but he's also at least out of respectable people. I think one of the only, I mean, Paul McCartney's in a different category really, but Lemmy is one of the few bassists that's lead singer also. Yeah. Maybe. I, I believe that well, to be I mean, true and that he's playing left-handed. It's a very unique look. 
It, it is. Uh, there's Getty Lee too. You know, there's. Oh, that's right, Getty Lee. Right. Okay. These are these are yin and yangs. Rush and Motorhead. <laughs> yeah, totally. Both played Rickenbackers, though. You know, Dude, so I might go see Getty Lee. He's doing a book release thing at the Masonic, like in a few weeks, and I was like. Oh, he is? Yeah, it just I loved Rush, man, and I just was like, you know, it'd be cool to hear like the book. The name of the book is "My F in Life." That's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, totally, <laughs> but, dude. I've taken so much of your time. I appreciate it. Like, fuck, it's so good to catch up with you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'll just I'll just put this out as as a small teaser. Uh, to I, I think it, it'd probably be good, but um, uh, Dave Ron. Um, me, uh, Chris Rest, and Barry Ward have been jamming. Nice. So I'll just leave it at that. You do you guys yeah. come to the city to jam? No, we jam at Dave's house. Hey, okay. Dave lives in the Salinas Hills, like near Monterey, and mm. and we jam at at Dave's house. That's where we practice for Lagwagon too, but. But uh, there's been a little bit of like teasers of of me, Dave, and Chris jamming RKL songs, and then there's there's been teasers of of me, uh, Dave, Chris, and Barry playing some RKL songs. So I love to hear it, dude. Don't stop this trip. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, and always keep laughing. So keep your ears and eyes out. There just might be something in the works. Okay, keep me posted too. Fuck yeah. And dude, let's hang out sometimes. I'm sorry that uh, both our schedules have been super busy and I really did want to do this in person and um, we can still be in person without having to do a podcast. So let's get lunch or coffee or whenever our windows are open or if you're coming to the city or if I'm heading down that way, um, it'd be great to fucking high five and hug. I love you and appreciate you. You too, man. Love you too, buddy. Um, let's do that soon. And thanks everybody for listening. Man, this been, this has been a while. What three hours? We were. Fucking- I know. We kind of we might have hit a new record. We could talk for fucking like probably five hours more. I'm sure, but we won't bore people with the conversation. <laughs> we can do that by ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and tell Barry to hit me up. I reached out to him, but he didn't get back to me. But I'd love to talk to him if he's into it. I, I actually mentioned it to him that I was going to be doing this podcast and that I, that, that you would most likely want to be talking to him too. So we can, you can do your like three part, like our Yeah. You want to talk to Dave as well. You can yeah, talk that to would Dave be Ron cool. To, Cause I didn't know Dave really. And to, to hear his San Mateo upbringing, that's just like unbelievable. But the, yeah. the interesting thing is when I interviewed RKL for Thrasher, the interview was with Jason and Mike Alcantara, I'm coming for you. I don't know yeah, where you Mike. are, but I'm coming Mike. for you. Oh, yeah. I want to mention this real quick. Because yeah. Mike sent me this, and his friend Lyman Lincoln made these uh, key um, keychains, talking Schmidt keychains. I don't know if you can see it, but they're leather, and I got a few of them. So first people that send me something funny to my email talking schmidt at gmail.com and include their favorite rkl song i'll start and their address i'll mail you out these for free might even throw in a t-shirt we'll see what happens but uh yeah i really appreciate it. and if your name really is lyman lincoln more power to you that's a great yeah, so name. He made me this too 
Oh, sick. I had, to, I, had to take off, I had to take off my belt to show you, but no, he's made me lag wagon straps. I mean, this guy fucking rules at leather work. Is he, he out of Redwood City? Um, he used to live with Chad and Mike over over Redwood Shores, but oh, Redwood Shores. Uh, he's in Arizona now, but he does this exclusively and he's awesome. So if anybody needs any leather work done, man, I can't I can't uh, approve him more and give him you know more kudos. He he does quality work. He's he's awesome for sure. Oh, and I wanted to mention too, and sorry about this. Um we need to do like an in live or like in-person live podcast of like any sm crew or redwood city crew that we could find these days and have a round table that let's would be do cool. it hell yeah i i know some people you know some people i mean we get tim curry chad like all these guys sean whitfield um i want to mention one other plug too is I've been noticing, I mean, I knew this since I met you, you're a, a really great artist also, and you've been okay. doing these art on the drum uh, circles and making yeah. really cool things. Uh, I don't know if that's something you just do for yourself or if you sell those, but people should check out. What's your Instagram? It's a little, uh, little Joe RKL wagon. So L-I-L-J-O-E-R-K-L wagon. Go there and look at these things because he's on tour and with his downtime, he's he's painting some rad stuff. And a lot yeah. of them are skate related and a lot of them are band related. So, and, hell yeah. And, and uh, I also do commission pieces too. So if people have an idea or want to gift it to someone or do something else like that, uh, I'll draw anything you want on a drum head pretty much. Uh, so yeah check it out i mean i have less time to draw these days like we're going to australia um next week next saturday wow, australia new zealand and uh and usually i like draw a whole bunch of drum heads to bring on tour so people can can buy them and and i sell them but i haven't had time to do shit lately i haven't no. even had time to like draw the stuff that's already commissioned you know no. so i'm a little backed up but um but yeah, like hit me up if you want something drawn for sure. And I need to do the talking Schmidt shirt for you. Dude, I was going to talk to my executive director and see what our budget is, but I would love that. Yeah. Um, dude, seriously, I want to fuck up. High five. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, stay in touch, please. And if there's ever anything I can do to help you out, you know, just reach out and I can get your address and send yeah, you man. some stuff or whatever, you know? So, totally. I, I want I want a shirt. I would love to take a Talking Schmidt shirt on tour and wear it on stage and represent the show. Oh, damn. what size are you? I'm a medium. Okay, let me let, let me see what we got. We're running low on everything right now. I need to make some more stuff. But well, dude, hell yeah. Enjoy the rest of your time. And yeah, we'll touch base this week about that. That'd be neat. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Love you, buddy. And thanks for having me on the show. And I'll see you soon. Okay, take care. All right, bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout-out. Love it! This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Keep the wheels greased.